If you're a tax professional or financial professional, the WealthAbility team has an exciting event coming up, and I would love to invite you. We're holding our 2021 Leadership Conference, Adapting to a Post-Pandemic World, June 3rd through the 6th. The speaker lineup is unbelievable. We have Robert Kiyosaki sharing his economic outlook, Sarah Singer-Nuri sharing her recent work on the strategies you need for sustaining passionate, mission-driven teams, Mike Dillard on the power of personal development in business, and the list goes on. I've never been so excited to host and moderate an event. The event is virtual, so you can attend from anywhere in the world, and we put together a great package of continuing education credits and bonuses for you too. The link for more details will be in the show notes. So head over to WealthAbility.com to learn more. This is the WealthAbility for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. Welcome to the WealthAbility show for CPAs, where we're always discovering how to make better clients, a better practice, and a better life. This is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder and CEO of the WealthAbility Network. So how do you make yourself the MVP, the most valuable professional for your clients? One of the goals of WealthAbility is to help our members really become indispensable to their clients. So much so that if, you know, if you're talking to, ever talking to a client and the client says, yeah, you kind of work too hard. You should cut down. Just don't cut me down. That's what we're looking for. Um, kind of like the other, uh, a while back, I was doing a, a podcast. Somebody, I said, I asked him, I said, who's the most valuable person to you? To you? And he goes, my banker. I want to, I don't want to die before my banker dies. And I said, well, why is that? He says, because he is so valuable to me. He always has the right person or the right idea. So I, 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 I can never give him up. He's, he's so important to me. So that's what we're doing in this series. Um, we talked about um, asset protection in, a, in just the, the most recent podcast. The, today, we're going to talk about research and development tax credits. It's a tremendously important area that we, we miss so much of the time. But really what we're focused on is how do we become uh, indispensable? How do we make ourselves um, indispensable, essential, um, really the MVP uh, for our client? And the way we do that, of course, is to bring them ideas because they don't want somebody who just shows up and does their tax return or does their financial statement. Uh, clients are looking for CPAs to do more. And I am a big believer that our profession could do more. And I'm very um, glad to have with me a, a, a good friend of mine who's an expert in research development tax credits, uh, Randy Eikoff. Randy and I have known each other for many, many years. And uh, Randy's done a lot of R&D credit studies for uh, uh, clients that I've referred him to. And so we're going to talk about the technical side of it. But if you fir would first, Randy, just um, give everybody a little bit about your background. How'd you end up in R&D credits of all places? Well, how much time do we have, Tom? Because that could be a long story. <laughs> two, minutes, two minutes would do. So do it. Go for it. Yeah. Real quick, I started my career with Arthur Anderson way back in the day for folks that remember that firm and was in the tax department for about eight years. And I realized somewhere along the line that compliance really wasn't enough. And I really wanted to be able to do more for my clients. As you know, it's so broad when we talk about compliance that even within that, you specialize as an escort professional or a partnership professional or just do individual high net worth individuals. So 
uh, I left the practice. I left, uh, I left accounting and found my way back when the research and development credit became what it is today. And that was 15 years ago. And the reason I did that was because of this huge value that it brings to companies and that the real impact it can make. Uh, and I appreciate that. And I, I, I think we probably got together about 15 years ago. So you must have just Pretty been close. starting out um, when, when we first got together. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of research and development. And I'm, I'm a big fan from a tax side. But I'm also a bit, I'm just a big fan of doing research development. I think that's part of what that's part of what entrepreneurs really ought to be doing is research and development. Um, but let me ask, let me start here, Randy. How do you even start determining whether it's even worth looking at R&D credits for a client? You know, it really begins with a simple question. And, and I'm, this is going to come across as incredibly broad, Tom, and we'll narrow it down from there. But the, the question I used to ask before we had payroll tax credits, and we'll talk about those in a second, was are you making something and are you making money? Because if you've got those two things happening, let's get into some detail about exactly what you're doing. And it literally becomes that broad. And then you start getting into, well, what did you do to make the things you're making? And what have you done this week in terms of doing them better? And that's where the conversation really starts. No, I like that. So I always go back to the root of the word entrepreneur, right? I mean, all of our clients are entrepreneurs and entrepreneur really means to, it's a French word, meaning enter in and take control of a marketplace. And if you're gonna do that, it seems to me like you've done something different than your competitors. And so it seems to me like anytime you've done something different from your competitors, there's a potential that you've done something unique. So if you would just kind of walk us through, Randy, what are some of the things you're looking for? You know, we know that, you know, you're making a new vaccine, for example, you're going to get R&D credits, right? We know that's going to happen. Um, but I think that there are a lot of times when we have clients and maybe even ourselves that are eligible for uh, R&D credits, and we have no clue that we could be eligible. So what are the, some of the things that you're looking for when you interview a, uh, somebody about a potential R&D credit? It, it, it runs the gamut, Tom, but one of the first questions I ask is, how are you staying competitive? What are you doing that makes you different in the marketplace? Um, what are you doing to solve your client's problems? Those two questions typically can get that conversation started in terms of the challenges their clients are having and the headaches that they have faced trying to figure out how to solve those problems. And those really are the, the crux of the R&D credit. That's really where the magic happens is figuring out and going through some trial and error to solve the problems that your clients have. So, so let me ask you this. So what are, what are some of the areas um, where you see people miss R&D credits. I mean, there's, you know, the obvious ones where they're inventing something completely new or, you know, their startup and things like that. But where do people tend to miss that opportunity? Well, let's start at the industry level and then we can kind of drill down from there. But industries that people don't really think about are as simple as contract manufacturing. You know, people will think, well, I'm making something for somebody else. Well, you're developing a process to make it and you own that IP. So that's an area where people miss a lot. Um, architects, as funny as that sounds, because they yeah. do design work, but a lot of architects think, well, a lot of what I do is aesthetic. Well, the reality is, is that there's a lot of functional things happening there that can qualify for research and development credits. Um, farming and agriculture, 
you're just planting stuff. But if you talk to a farmer, it's a whole lot more detailed and a lot more scientific than simply putting some seeds in the ground, whether it's irrigation or crop rotation, whether it's the way that they are figuring out new strains of ways to uh, fight pesticide pests and, and other things. So farming and agriculture is huge. And, and the hemp industry alone, now that it has come off of the uh, 280E list, right? Now that's an area where you can go everything all the way up and down the vertical chain. And we recently finished a study for a, a company that starts in the farm and, and literally packages their own products uh, with CBD. And they got a very significant credit. So those are a couple of areas where people are missing things. When you start talking about the process and people say, well, I do design things, but are you capturing the initial ideation, that initial concept development that your salespeople are out talking to your customers. It's not uncommon for us to pick up anywhere from five to 15% of a salesperson's time because their customers are talking to them about the next new, cool, functional thing they want that product or that software to do. So people will often miss that piece of the, the spectrum. So there's a whole bunch of areas that people don't think about, but those are some of the industries. Those are some of the pieces of the the timeline that get missed. So, so we know that coming up with a new product, you know, I think we, we kind of understand that that's going to be uh, qualified for R&D. Um, but as I understand R&D, and I'm not the expert, you are, um, there's also things like business processes and other things that we even do internally that could qualify for R&D credit. What are, what are some of those areas that we tend to miss? You know, let's go back to that contract manufacturing component, right? So customer comes in with a new product that they already have the product done, but they don't like, or they, they're not happy with their current provider. So you work through, how are we now going to create a process that we can make this widget? And you might make it differently. You might look at different materials, different machines, different sequences in order to hit the specific specifications that client is looking for. Well, that process development component absolutely qualifies. It's a slam dunk. And so documenting that and making sure that we're picking up really that beginning, where did that client need? How can we make this better? All the way to how do we make a hundred of those or a thousand or 10,000 of those widgets that everyone that touches that process is doing R&D. And so that would be one example of that, that, that people can look at. A new layout for a manufacturing floor and the way that you are now pushing products through, whether it's just in time or continuous improvement, any of those types of uh, process improvement initiatives are things that can be looked at to see whether or not they're gonna fit what the IRS needs to make that qualified. So what about um, going outside the manufacturing? What about, what about business processes and other processes that are not specifically related to manufacturing a product but maybe related to like a new service or a new technology or something like that? It gets a little gray, to be honest. The one of the components of the R&D credit is that you must involve a hard science. And so if you're creating a new process or improving on a process whereby you're developing or implementing some sort of technology, something to look at. If it's simply a process that um, is administrative, it needs to have that hard science in order to pass our four-part test. So it's an area to look at for sure but you got to have some hard science in order to pass the four-part test. Okay, so, so you're getting to the four-part test, which is what I wanted <laughs> to do. I knew that was coming. 
Okay, <laughs> you, you got ahead of me. So uh, it, it, would you just walk through the four-part test? Because I understand it. This is really the crux of the matter is this four-part test. And the reason we're going through this with everyone is that uh, unless you understand what the R&D credit is about, you're never going to spend the time to do this with a client. And while you may not be the expert on coming up with the R&D credit, I mean, like I'm not, this is why I bring Randy in and, and his group. Um, you still have to be the one to identify, is it even worth the client's time? Because it does take some time from the client, okay, in order to do this, because the client has to explain to Randy's team, this is what happens. So, so let's go through that four-part test and maybe we can examine a little bit about how that works. So we've just got a pretty good concept of it. And then we can talk about some of the benefits that come out of going through that four-part test. Terrific. So I'm going to start with a, a definition, if you will, of a development effort. And I use that because if we start by talking about the client started a project, it has a different connotation. So when a client begins a development effort, meaning they sit down and they start coming up with a concept, that's really the beginning of our process. So the business, excuse me, the four part test starts with something we call a business component. And a business component in the code under section 41, the R&D credit is defined as the development or improvement of a product, a process, a software, a technique, a formula, or an invention. So it's pretty broad. Any one of those five can qualify as that first test. So if we are developing or improving on product, process, software, technique, formula, or invention, we've passed our first test. Our improvements need to be functional. What really is that? important. So that means better quality, better durability, better speed, um, depending on whether it's a software or a product, something like that. It has to be a functional change not aesthetic. If I change my widget from blue to red, probably not going to qualify. It needs to make it work differently. Correct. Or add new functionality, anything like that. Absolutely. Our second test is called the elimination of technical uncertainty. And it says that at the beginning of our development effort, there have to be things we don't know relative to our capability, the method, or the appropriate design. Truth is, 99% of the time, we're gonna fall back on that appropriate design question. So what we like to do is when we sit down with a company, let's talk about all of the problems that you were having getting off the drawing board. What were all the things you had to figure out? This is our discovery test and it's taxpayer by taxpayer friendly, Tom. So it's important to note that you could have company A developing a widget and company B across the street developing the exact same widget they're not sharing information, they can both qualify with those same questions and those same uncertainties. So technical uncertainty must have it in order to qualify. Our third test is called the process of experimentation. And it says that we must evaluate one or more alternatives in order to alleviate those technical uncertainties that we identified at the beginning of the process. That can be trial and error, that can be iterative, that can be scientific method, that can be agile scrum, that can be waterfall, that can be spaghetti against the wall. Really need to be able to show what did we look at, what was our problem, and how did we solve it? Our final test is called scientific principles. And it simply says that in that process of experimentation must be the principles of hard science, biological, physical, 
engineering, or computer science. So to the extent that we meet all four of those tests for that development effort, from the beginning of concept inception to the end of technical uncertainty, once we've eliminated uncertainty, we stop the clock. Anyone touching that process, supervising it, completing it, supporting it, we can pick up a portion of their wages, as well as any supplies used in prototyping and testing, computer rental expenses used in development, and then finally, any contract research that's based here in the United States. So, so let me kind of, kind of walk you walk through something here, because you said that, you know, once, once we're done with that uncertainty, I've never been done with an uncertainty. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so let me just kind of walk through, let, let, let's take, for example, um, I'm in the middle of software development right now, okay, as you know. And so literally you are always developing, right? So it's never done. Uh, I mean, you look at, we get new, um, um, new uh, uh, software for our iPhone every other week, yep. right? So that means that they're fixing bugs. They're they're coming up with new things. They're 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 doing things differently, uh, changing things around. Um, are those? I mean, I mean, you know, take iOS fourteen. I don't know point whatever, right? Uh, are, are they still continuing? Are they? Uh, is Apple, for example, still getting the R and D credit for that type of work? They are, and let's break that down a little bit. So as long as we are doing improvements that are functional in nature, that's qualified R&D. If we're fixing bugs, that's specifically thrown out. So now, is that a gray area? Absolutely. Um, but that's how the code breaks it out. So from a trying to break this down simply, let's say that a development effort happens and on Friday afternoon it gets released. So technically, we would stop the clock on R&D. On Saturday morning, when the developers come back in, we start a new development effort, and that would technically be a different project or different development effort, and it, we would look at that separately. Okay, got it. So um, before we go uh, any further, uh, talk about what is the, you know, what's the magnitude of this credit? Um, I know there are state credits, different states, like my state has a huge credit. Um, you know, what, basically, how's that calculation done? You know, because we keep hearing it's a 10% credit, but then we know it's not really a 10% credit because you, you know, you get a haircut because you deducted. So can you kind of walk us through that, Randy? Yeah, at the federal level, if you read section 41, it'll tell you it's a 20% credit. When all the dust settles and you apply all the limitations and you do the add backs, the reality is, is you're looking at about a seven and a half to 8% credit, depending on a, a lot of different variables. And as you mentioned, at the state level, wow, Arizona's got an amazing credit. California's got a great credit. Um, but that's just icing on the cake, because once you've figured out your federal credit, most of the states are going to piggyback off the federal rules. So you're able to then essentially look at those specifics, make some adjustments, and in many cases, double your benefit. I, I'm all, I'm all good with doubling the benefit. Uh, and uh, do, you know, do all those states, you mentioned in the U.S. that it has to be done within the U.S. I presume that with the state credits, the, the work has to have been done within that state too? That's right. So the, some of the adjustments you make is if you've got employees all over the country, your state credit is going to be limited to the people that are actually based there, as well as your contract researchers. So if you're in Arizona and you've got contract researchers in Texas, for example, you would take them out of the Arizona calculation. 
Got it. Okay. So let's kind of walk th people through. Um, let's say you want to set up clients for success in this area. Now, obviously, I, I would expect that you come in mostly after the fact and people are scrambling to, you know, find all this information and put it all together. But if you didn't have to do that, I mean, you know, big companies like the big pharma and all those guys, I mean, they're doing this on a regular basis. They probably have whole departments for R&D credit. And so what, what do we do to set our clients up for success here? It's a great question. And it depends a little bit on the size of the company in the industry. Now, when we talk about an engineering firm, an architectural firm, they typically have accounting systems and time management systems where they track their time to individual projects. And that's a perfect world because they break it down by cost code and we've got incredible detail. Reality is though that with the credit, we don't necessarily have to have time records in order to qualify. We can use reasonable estimates. How do you define that reasonable estimate? Well, if you as the taxpayer aren't doing any kind of tracking, well, you kind of leave it up to the IRS to determine what's reasonable and that may not be your definition of reasonable. So what we typically will tell clients when we come in and they want to take a credit for prior years is we'll sit down and talk about what are the processes they currently have in place, how do they do their work, and then let's figure out some sort of a tracking mechanism that doesn't impede their ability to get their work done, but still gets us some sort of time documentation so we can get our arms around how much time someone is spending doing qualified activities. Credit's great, but we wanna manage and balance between making sure we're getting our work done and not putting on too many administrative burdens that it's gonna slow them down and, and that's gonna have an impact obviously on their ability to get things out the door. Okay, so I'm gonna go back and hit this one more time. Talk about qualified activities and what are those qualified activities that we ought to be tracking? So it comes down to a project level basis and, and I'm, I'm gonna come back to industry really drives this. In a software development world, as, as you know, there are mechanisms that, that you track literally every single functional change that's made. And you've got this 200, 300 list of projects because your developer has focused on making this one functional thing happen. For a company that works with clients, their things are gonna be driven by their client work, which can qualify depending on a lot of other factors that we could talk about another time. Um, so they're gonna track things on a client project basis. Other companies, they will have initiatives internally and they'll track them in a different way as well. So in terms of qualified activities, it really can be driven by the company and how they are doing their development. There's no set requirement in the code that says you must track it in this way. The keys for us, our group is, can we pass that four part test? So if you're gonna set that development activity up, let's make sure that we've set it up in a way that we're going to meet all of the requirements we're broad enough and yet also narrow enough, right? Because if we're too broad, we're gonna be picking up time and activities that aren't gonna qualify. Okay, so in a perfect world, um, and I know you don't operate in a perfect world, neither do I, um, right. instead of going in after the fact and you know, you say, well, by the way, if you thought about R&D credit, like I did just the other day with a client, what you're doing is you're saying, look, you're, we know our clients, right? I mean, nobody knows their, knows the, the businesses uh, better than the CPA, 
frankly. I mean, we're in tune with them. We're doing tax returns. We're doing financial statements. We're doing bookkeeping. There's a lot of work we're doing. And if all we do is say, okay, let's have a meeting with the client and let's, if we think there might be an opportunity here. So we've got some kind of a hard science software, et cetera, right? Because to me, that's probably what cuts people out the most is that they're not in that hard science area. Um, but if I've got that, and I think that my client has it, so what am I gonna tell my client, do this, this, and this, and it'll make Randy's job a lot easier? I, I would tell them to uh, create a tracking system for who's on their projects, how much time they're spending, and document what are the steps in that process. What are you doing first? What are you doing second? What are you doing third? And then when I come in, I can look at that process and say, this, these tasks, this piece qualifies. This piece is marketing, doesn't qualify. This piece is design, it does qualify. And so we can block and tackle it that way. And now we can look at the people that are doing those specific activities. Got it. So they don't have to, I mean, they don't have to know everything uh, that, that you're going to do. If they, if they can just track the activity, track the activities by project, then that is enough for you to get going is what you're saying. It is. And I, and I want to make sure I say this as well, Tom, and that is that just because they haven't done that doesn't mean they can't go get a credit for a prior year. We can always get that done. And then on a go forward basis, put some things in place that make the next year a lot easier. Okay, so let's talk about getting credits for prior years because we all know that there's these ba this base year idea and, and how that all works. So how do you do that? How do you actually go about going backwards? How far back can you go? And wh what kind of information, you know, how, how intrusive is this into the business? Good question. So uh, it depends on how old the business is in terms of how we calculate the, the base. And so let's just in general, talk about that so that everybody has an understanding of what we're talking about. When the credit was enacted, the way that it was set up was Congress wanted people to be incentivized to continue to grow the amount of R&D that they're doing as their revenue grows. So they essentially put in a base amount or a floor that says, if you're not spending at least this much on R&D, we're not going to give you credit. And that floor is based on your average revenues over the prior four years. So as long as your revenues keep going up, you're going to have to continue to spend more relative to the amount of revenue you're spending. Now, with that said, the rules on how we calculate that amount get very complicated if the business started in 1970 or 1996 or 2006, the rules actually change and they're different. Now, in terms of documentation, let's say that we've got a company that started in 1976 and they don't have a lot of documentation that takes us back so we can actually look back enough to do some calculations. The federal side allows us to do what's called the alternative simplified credit, where we simply look back three years at actual expenses and do the calculation without the use of the revenues. So there's lots of different ways to skin the cat, if you will, um, but that base calculation um, is necessary in order to at least get a handle on how much we might get a haircut from, from uh, our revenue versus how much we're spending. But it's all based on historical. What have you done in the past? Now let's set that base and move forward. And, and we have our normal three-year statute limitations on this, right? Correct. Yep. And we can go back three years to get the credit. 
all open tax years. That's right, from the date of filing. Now, let's say, uh, now some states are more than three years, right? So I presume for those states, we can go back farther. Arizona, California, for sure. That's where we spent a lot of time and that's always a four-year statute. Okay, great. All right, well, thank you, Randy. So I, I've, um, to me, this is such an important area because this is something where we can add value. Now, Randy, if, um, without disclosing too much uh, or anything that you don't wanna disclose, um, you're, you get to charge, unlike the rest of us, you get charged based on success, right? Well, federally, no, we, we still can't charge contingent fees. It is a fixed fee, um, but we wanna go in and figure out what that credit is for the company and understand how much work's gonna have to be done to get this work completed. Um, so now states can be charged on a percentage of the savings. Federally, however, we're limited by Circular 230 and so it's a fixed fee. Okay, and you get, but you give that fee up front, right? You don't surprise people. No, 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 but when we figure out what their credit is, then we let them know what the fee is gonna be. Ah. And with their approval, we move it forward. And then you do the work. See, I love that. I, I See, this is important to me because one thing I, I know about my clients is the thing that they hate most is surprise, right? They don't even particularly like good surprises. They just don't like surprises. They, they wanna have an idea. And if we can give them, okay, here's, here's the benefit, here's the cost, that's an easy decision to make. Whereas you're, if you're saying, well, we may have something, they're going, uh, I, I don't know about that. But wouldn't it be nice? I mean, what I love is, I, I gotta tell you, one of the things I love about this profession is I do love being the hero, right? I mean, and so you can truly be the hero to a client when you, when you go, you know, you may have a research and development tax credit, you may have no idea you know, that that was even possible because you don't think of yourself in a research and development or technology industry, but you may be creating technology even for your own uses. And if I understand right, Randy, even technology for your own use qualifies. It absolutely can. Uh, if it's software, there's some yet more rules because we don't have enough as it is. Um, and those need to be looked at a little bit closer, but it's always worth a conversation, right? I mean, the conversation you don't have may cost you something and the way that we see the work that we do and the results that we bring for our clients is it means they can hire three or four more people. It means they can buy another machine so that they can serve more clients. So it, it is very valuable in terms of the value we can bring to those companies and the impact we can have for the lives of their employees, the lives of the owners, and more importantly, the value they bring to their clients. Awesome. Thank you. So Randy, where would we get in touch with you if, um, uh, if we want more information? Yeah, so Asina Consulting on the web, easy way to do that. Tom, you've obviously got my number. They can reach out to you as well. Um, and uh, happy to answer whatever other questions have come up. Awesome, thank you, Randy. And just uh, for those of you who don't know this, we have a, a Wealth Ability, we have a terrific event coming up. It's our annual leadership conference. It's June 3rd through 6th. Randy is speaking at that conference, gonna give us even a little bit more information on the R&D credit, but we also have people like Robert Kiyosaki who's gonna give, an, uh, who's gonna talk about economic outlook. We've got uh, Mike Dillard who is, um, some of you know who Mike Dillard is. He is one of my favorite marketing people in the world, but he's actually gonna talk about the benefits of personal development when it comes to businesses. Uh, we've got such an amazing lineup 
that uh, I hope you can join us. It's uh, virtual, so you can join us from anywhere in the world. It qualifies for continuing education in most states, not quite all states, but most states it qualifies for continuing education. So uh, we look forward to seeing you June 3rd through the 6th. You can go to wealthability.com um, and look up the event schedule and you can get more information about it. But Randy's gonna be there. I, of course, uh, I get to moderate the event. So I get to learn like I do um, every week on a podcast. And Randy, I wanna thank you again. And all of you out there, uh, listening, look, um, whether you're a, a CPA or other financial professional, just remember that really it's what value we bring to the clients that makes us a most valuable professional, right? That's the MVP is it's the value we bring to the clients. So when we bring valuable value like research development tax credits or other consulting ideas that we're going to talk about in this we're going to continue talking about over the next uh, several months in the uh, WealthAbility Show for CPAs. What's always going to happen is you're going to always end up with better clients, a better practice, and a better life. See you next time. You've been listening to the WealthAbility for CPA Show. Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to WealthAbility.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.